Am I not up here? Good? Okay. No, beautiful singing. And uh, I feel like every week when we sing, I just, I'm always just really grateful to Adam and our music team for um, just leading us in songs. Grateful for the gifts that God has given to them to help us. And what I'm most grateful for is just how they do such a great job of helping us uh, sing. And so we say this often, but I was going to say it again. You know, the most important instrument that we have as we sing is the voices of the congregation. So I love um, just hearing you all sing. And so um, thanks for doing that. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Jonah. So Jonah is a really small book near the end of uh, the Old Testament. If you grab one of the blue Bibles on the pews, it's on page 451. And then as you're turning there, my name is Aaron, and I'm the preaching pastor here, and we're, uh, we're really glad that you're with us today. You picked a good Sunday to come. Uh, as you can smell, uh, we have a tricky uh, cooking. So at the end of the service, we have a potluck, and we would really love for everyone to join us uh, during that time. So here, uh, our task is to read verses 1 through 6 of Jonah chapter 1, and then I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. So Jonah chapter 1, if you want to take your eyes there, find your eyes there in the scripture, and as mentioned, I'll read verses 1 through 6. So please follow along as I read God's word. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Okay, so that's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your holy word. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit who opens up your holy word that we might hear your voice. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would bless this time. Please help me to be a good communicator of your word. Please help the congregation to be good listeners of your word. And that we pray that uh, your spirit would do a work in our hearts that you use this time to uh, draw us closer to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as Rob mentioned earlier, so today we gather together, we do so to start a new sermon series through this Old Testament book of Jonah. Now, I know at times some of you are curious on how I go about trying to pick books or sermon series that we go through, so they can be like, why this book, why this series, why this time? So this morning, if you're interested on why the book of Jonah, why this time, let me just try to answer that here by just maybe giving you a twofold answer. So first, it's actually a very practical reason. Okay, so practically in this time, I wanted to find a little shorter sermon series for us to work through. Okay, so if you've been with us uh, recently through uh, Red Village, you know that we've just finished a, a pretty lengthy study of the book of Samuel. It takes about a year and a half or so to go through 1 Samuel. And because that was a little longer series for us to work through practically, I thought it might be good for us to follow it up with a little shorter series, which this will be. So Jonah is just a short four chapters, and we'll cover uh, these four chapters over the course of five sermons. In addition, practically, I wanted to find a shorter sermon series to work through before Christmas and the start of the, uh, which is amazing, just right around the corner. And practically, Jonah fit that timeline as well. So, so why Jonah? So practical reasons. Right? It fits this timeline that we're in. Second, why Jonah is more of a pastoral reason. So, so we all know 
that we live in a society has become more and more divided. They could continue to put us into like us versus them camps, where it's become easier and easier for us to live in our own echo chambers, which has made us uh, more and more antagonistic towards maybe others in society. Uh, within that, we know that society has become more and more blatant in how it knows the scriptures, particularly when it comes to clear teaching of scripture, things like sexuality, gender, abortion, things like that. So we're in a short period of time. Our society is now calling good that which God clearly calls evil. And because of this social reality, what can easily happen for us is, one, is to be like tempted to remove ourselves from society, remove ourselves from those who think differently from us, where all we do is like live in our own Christian bubble, where we don't really know anyone who does not share the same faith in Jesus Christ that we have. And then two, within that, as society continues to thumb its nose at God, there's going to be a real temptation for us to now ensure and thumb our nose at them by like standing in prideful judgment over others. No, certainly, we should have righteous anger when we see sin celebrated. But we must be on guard that our righteous anger doesn't turn into prideful judgment. You know, perhaps having a similar attitude of the disciples of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, if you remember that story, were in self-righteous judgment. Right? They wanted uh, uh, like fires from heaven to come and consume the world around them. Right? That could be really easy to sort of fall into that trap. You know, just to want judgment, rather than us having like a heart to take the fire of the gospel to the world around us. Having the heart to see more and more people from the world around us join us in our faith in Jesus Christ, so that they be saved from judgment, saved into God's eternal love. Because of the struggle of society, because of the temptation to stand in self-righteous judgment over society, I thought it would be good for us to go through Jonah uh, in this time. Uh, to remind ourselves of the heart of God which is a heart to send his people with his message of grace and forgiveness to the world around us. So that through his people who testify to his message, God would show mercy to bring more and more to faith in him. So for us, in the short little book, I want us to be encouraged as we see God's heart, see his mercy and his compassion towards sinners. But I also hope that we're challenged. Challenged by maybe where we see Jonah in ourselves. We're going to learn Jonah in the course of the short sermon series. He did not want to fill the commission that God gave to him, which is a commission to go to the evil city of Nineveh, which was a pagan city that had vastly different ideals than what the scripture teaches. So in this book, specifically in our text today, we see Jonah, he did all that he could to get away from the command of God. And he did so with a burning desire for judgment to come on Nineveh rather than salvation. And to say it again, pastorally, this type of attitude has become more and more tempting for us to fall into as well. As we live in an us versus them mentality, where we actually don't want them, referring to those who have yet to taste and see that the Lord is good, to trust, put their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want them to come to faith in Jesus. So friends, here at Red Village, right, we want our heart in line with God's heart, which is a heart by which he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so that's a little bit of the why. Why this book, why this series, why this time. Now, before we get into the text today, let me give you some background information on this book. Uh, some of this is actually pretty important for us to know to best be able to understand and apply this short little book. So to start, it's not fully known who wrote Jonah, uh, which many actually refer to as like a literary masterpiece. Although most throughout church history believe that Jonah was the author, and this is like an autobiographical story of his life, which if true, this had to be pretty humbling for Jonah to write. So you're going to see throughout our study, Jonah is not really a positive example for us to follow in this book. 
Uh, we'll get to more on Jonah in just a bit before I get to him. Second, I do want to mention here at the start that this, I do think this book records a real-life historical event. So now in this book, there's some real like didactic elements to it, where like maybe this is pointing to that, where the author uses points throughout Jonah to try to teach a bigger point. And because of some of these didactic elements in Jonah, some have been led to believe or maybe at least wonder if this book was more along the lines of like an allegory or a parable, like a fictional story that uses didactic teaching to communicate a, a real-life truth. However, I think the New Testament clearly defeats that notion. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus clearly treats Jonah as a real-life historical figure, and this is a real-life historical event. And really, even within the details surrounding Jonah, this points to this being a historical event and not just like an allegorical tale. So allegories, parables, don't spend as much time as Jonah does to communicate various details. So it's like historical literature that uses a lot of details that we see running throughout Jonah. Third, let me mention just first a little bit of background information, and this takes us back to the character of Jonah. This is maybe the most interesting uh, part for us in understanding and applying in terms of some background. So the book of Jonah is not the only place in Scripture we come across Jonah. Okay, so we actually read a little bit about him in 2 Kings 14. Okay, let me read this account here. So it's from 2 Kings 14. It says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, uh, Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Napat, which he made Israel to sin. Okay, so not good. But then read this in 2 14. He restored the border of Israel from Labohath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amatatai, the prophet who is from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from upon heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Okay, so in 2 Kings 14, things are not good in Israel. But God, in his grace and his mercy, sent Jonah. Right, the same Jonah from this book, to proclaim the message of good news to Israel, where God moved through the ministry of Jonah in a great way to care for his people, to put his glory on display by, by saving his people. Okay, now, it's hard to know if the events I just read for you in 2 Kings happened before or after the events of, book, of the book of Jonah, although most think what I just read for you in 2 Kings happened first, which I tend to think as well. And if this is the case, if those events in 2 Kings happened first, historically before Jonah, this actually just emphasizes one of the great themes that scholars talk about in this little book, which is the theme of us versus them mentality that Jonah had. Where Jonah was willing to go to us in 2 Kings, which for him was us to preach to Israel, repentance and faith, where he wanted the Lord to work among his people to those who are like him to save them. But then in our book, he's unwilling to go to Nineveh, because Jonah did not want God to work among them. As mentioned, for them, Jonah wanted judgment to come. I'm going to keep saying this for emphasis. This is going to be a real ongoing temptation for us as well. As society becomes more and more blatant and thumbing their nose against the things of God, it's become more and more tempting for us to almost long for like judgment to come, rather longing for them to come to Jesus. So with all that information on your hands, look back with me at our text starting in verse 1. And what we're going to do today, I'm just going to walk us through verse by verse 
1, verses, uh, verse 6. So keep your Bibles open. So verse 1, read it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Mattatai. Okay, so at the start, it's like there's no slow roll to start up this book. Like we're jumping right in. With the opening lines, God having a message for his prophet Jonah, which is a clear message recorded for us in verse 2. God to Jonah. Jonah, I want you to arise from where you are, and I want you to go to Nineveh. So now we don't know the exact location where Jonah was, where he was to arise from. But I think it's safe to assume that Jonah is somewhere in Israel, most likely in the northern part of Israel. And it seems most likely because that's where Second Kings was coming from, from the northern kingdom of Israel. However, as mentioned, we don't know the exact location of where he was, where he used to rise from to go to Nineveh. But we do know where Nineveh was located, which is today northern Iraq, right next to the Tigris River, a good 500 or more miles from Israel which probably could have required Jonah to actually travel upward to 600 miles to get to Nineveh. Uh, because the ancient route that Jonah had to travel at that time, right, they'd have like direct flights to Nineveh. And so they had to take a little bit more of like a roundabout journey for him to get here. So, so at least 500 miles, possibly 600 miles on this one-way trip. So maybe just to get some context for us here, think from like Madison to Nashville. That's like about 500 miles which for us, like, it's a really long day's drive that we can complete in one day trip. But for Jonah, what the Lord was calling for him to do here, this is probably at least a month, probably more than that for him to go. Just, just to get there. And then another month or more for the journey to get back home after the mission was complete. So this is not like a small or insignificant word that Jonah got from the Lord. This is a sizable command, a sizable commission. Jonah to rise to leave where he was and go to Nineveh, which in our text we see was a great city. And this phrase, great city, actually comes up multiple times in this short book, which is the author's ways of emphasizing a point to us. So now Nineveh was a great city for a number of reasons. So it was great in terms of its population, possibly as large as like 600,000 or more people at the time. It was actually bigger than Madison. Uh, this would have made the great city of Nineveh possibly the largest city in the Middle East, maybe even in the world at the time. Also a great city because of the land size. So when we get to chapter 3 in a few weeks, we'll see it'll take Jonah three days to go through it. So great in size. In addition, Nineveh was a great city because of like power and influence it held within the Assyrian Empire. So for a lot of years, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was a world power at that time. But in our text is read verse 2. I think the thing the author wants to see most importantly about Nineveh in terms of its greatness is that this ancient city was great in wicked, evil deeds. So great in its wicked deeds. Clearly they had a reputation that traveled the 500 or so ancient miles back to Israel for Jonah to know how wicked it was. And now for us, think about it. This is where God was calling Jonah to go. He's calling him to travel a great distance to an evil city that was clearly thumbing its nose at the things of God. In the text, not only did the prophet know the reputation of this great evil city, obviously the Lord knew as well. Take your eyes on our text. The text tells us that the wickedness of Nineveh had come before the Lord, meaning like the Lord was like aloof or unaware of what was going on with Nineveh. Like he clearly knew what was taking place. And as the Lord could clearly see the wickedness, perhaps surprisingly, 
no doubt frustrating to Jonah, God wanted him to go there just so he could show mercy to this city. Right? That's why he's sending Jonah, to preach to them, to call Nineveh out of its wickedness, to call them to repentance and faith. So through this message, repentance of faith, a great act of mercy would be put on display. So in verse 2 of our text, there's actually a lot going on here. There's a lot here for Jonah the prophet to process. Right? Not only make a big trip, but to make it to a people that he clearly had disdain for because of their wicked ways. Right? No small command here. A lot tied to this command. A lot tied to this great commission that Jonah just received. You know, it's just for us, just to continue to think this through this so we don't miss this. I mean, it's just think what God's commanding. Jonah, you need to leave the comfort of your home. Leave your family. Leave your friends, your community. Go on a long, dangerous journey, which who knows how long it would have taken for him to get there. And by the way, I should mention here, back to his community, during Jonah's time period, there seems to be some type of like a school of prophets that existed where God brought together like younger prophets who be trained and mentored by older prophets. So for those who are in our study of First Samuel, remember the scene in chapter 19? So remember when Saul was trying to kill David, and David's wife Michael helped David escape to the window of the house? And then David escaped, and he found refuge among a group of prophets. Remember that story? So this prophet seemed to be like almost like a school or community of prophets. Like even in 2 Kings, which is mentioned, is written during the time of Jonah. Remember the story of like Elijah and his protege, Elisha? So, so that relationship seemed to be part of like, almost like a school of prophets. And many throughout church history have believed that it's very possible that Jonah was in the school. So backing up to the thinking what he had to leave, think about the incredible community he must have had. Can you imagine the Bible studies he was part of? The encouraging conversations he was involved with? The great times of prayer he would have had? I mean, think about this. He would have had to leave that behind for the sake of this great commission. Sitting and going on this long journey, leaving his community, dangerous journey, to go where? To go to Nineveh, of all places, Nineveh, a wicked, evil city. A city that was not part of Israel. A city that clearly was different from him. I'm saying there's a lot going on here. There's a lot for Jonah the, process, uh, the prophet to have to process through. I'm thinking about this is a big cost that God was commanding Jonah to pay. So keep going in our text. As Jonah was processing this great commission from the Lord, we see that Jonah came to the conclusion that this is not a command for him that he was not going to obey to seek fulfill this great commission. Right? God could find someone else to do it. You know, find a different prophet. I ain't going. So in verse 3, we read that Jonah rose. But not to go to Nineveh. Rather, Jonah rose to flee and head to the city of Tarshish. Now, scholars are not fully certain of the whereabouts of Tarshish. But scripture actually does give us a good number of clues to help us like, have a good guess of where it was located. So 1 Kings 10... 1 Kings 10 tells us the clue that Tarshish had rich metals. Uh, 1 Kings 10 also gives the clue that Tarshish seemed to be a significant distance away from Israel. 2 Chronicles 20, as long as, along with 1 Kings 10, gives a clue that Tarshish seemed to be a port city. Uh, Isaiah 60 gives us the clue that Tarshish seemed to be located on the Mediterranean Sea. 
Uh, we're going to do it in just a second. Our study of Jonah, we see that to go to Tarshish from Israel, you would have to travel by sea. All these, so all these clues kind of fit together. And as we add these clues together, a lot of scholars think that Tarshish likely was located like in the southwest corner of like modern day in Spain. Okay, so now if we pull out a world map, Tarshish is the exact opposite location of Nineveh. This is about as far as the other direction one could get from Nineveh in the ancient world. In our text, Jonah didn't head to Tarshish, you know, just for maybe like a last-minute vacation, you know, maybe to go there try to prepare himself mentally, physically, spiritually, before making good on this command that God gave him to go to Nineveh. You know, maybe like you know, go there to research, you know, how to effectively reach the Ninevites. Rather, as mentioned, Jonah went there to flee, to flee to Tarshish. Because our text tells us that Jonah was actually trying to get away, actively trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, for Jonah, he was a prophet. He would have known that God is omnipresent. He would have known that he could never fully get away from the presence of God. So this here, this is Jonah doing all that he could to get away from this command that God just gave him. This is Jonah now thumbing his nose at the Lord in his command. Right? Jonah has no desire for this great commission. Keep saying it. He wanted judgment, not mercy, for Nineveh. Keep going. Verse 3. As Jonah thumbs his nose at the Lord, as he flees the presence of the Lord by heading to Tarshish, we see that first he had to go down to Joppa, which is a town sometimes also referred to as Jaffa. And this is another clue for us, perhaps, that Joppa was a Mediterranean port city. And as Jonah went to the port city of Joppa, we see that he went there to find a ship. Now, let me pause here just to point out perhaps an interesting thing concerning Joppa, perhaps more than just a coincidence. So this isn't the only place that Joppa is listed in the scripture. So it's actually listed a few times. But of all those times listed, outside of maybe here in Jonah, if you remember Joppa, remember anything about this port city, it's most likely you remember reading about it in Acts 9 and 10. Remember this story? This is a story where the apostle Peter was given a commission from the Lord through a vision, where Peter was not just to preach the gospel to Israel, which for Peter was us, but through this vision, Peter was given a commission that he was to go to the Gentiles as well, which was them. And this commission, this vision that Peter got, was in Joppa. So perhaps just a providential coincidence to our story, the story of Jonah having similar, uh, you know, similar place, but Maybe not. You know, I wonder this week if perhaps God gave Peter this vision here at this location, just maybe to remind him of Jonah. You know, I just wondered, I don't know this, but I wondered, almost like, hey, Peter, don't be like Jonah, but joyfully, willingly go to the Gentiles. I'll keep saying it. I don't know if that's the case, but at least worth pondering. Back to our text. As Jonah got to Joppa, he found what he's looking for, and he found a ship headed to Tarshish. And as Jonah found the ship, we see that he paid the fare, and he went down into the boat. And with Jonah down into the boat, verse 3 ends, with him now on his way to Tarshish, to once again, in the text, get away from the presence of the Lord. Right, same phrase, once again, for emphasis. Right, this is why Jonah was leaving. The author does not want us to miss this detail. Jonah was moving in disobedience from the command that God gave him. By the way, this phrase actually will come up again in this short little book to continue to emphasize the prophet's disobedience to the call that God gave him. Verse 4. 
is that sometime into the journey to Tarshish, the Lord is not going to like passively sit back and allow for his prophet to thwart his desire for the message to be claimed to the Nevites. So we see in the text that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, which I think probably implies the ship is like, like well on in its way, you know, well out of the harbor, somewhere out in the middle of the sea. Which if I can hit pause again real quick, this week I kind of wondered at the length of time it took for the ship to get out of the port into the sea. If that is almost giving like Jonah a belief that maybe he was getting away with his disobedience. However, as the Lord hurled the great wind, we see that he was not going to get away what maybe Jonah thought he was getting away with. So in the text, as the Lord, Lord hurled the sea with the great wind, we see that a mighty tempest began, a, a real violent storm on the sea. And as this incredible storm hit the sea, obviously it put the ship into a very vulnerable position. So our text tells us the ship is now being threatened to be broken up which no doubt would have been a death sentence for all who were on board. So in verse 5, you're going to take your eyes there. As the storm raged, as the men on the ship were put into a panic, filled with fear, we see that in their fear, each of them started to cry out to his own God, begging their God for safety. And as each man cried out to his God, we see also they were trying to find like practical ways to protect themselves from devastation. So we read that they started to hurl the cargo into the sea, with the hopes of lightening the ship. And for us, we can just picture the panic taking place on this boat. I mean, you can just see the men like frantically moving about the ship. You can just hear the voices of the men crying out to their gods. You can hear the wind howling. You can hear the waves crashing. Yet, as all this is happening amazingly, we see that Jonah was unaware of was taking place. So our text tells us he had gone down into the, inter, or the inner part of the ship where he laid down and fell fast asleep. Okay, now we mentioned here that some scholars wonder if Jonah going down into the inner part of the ship was maybe a bit of a word picture of death that verse 3 also picks up on, right? Dead bodies, right? They're placed into the inner part of the ground. Souls who reject the Lord in the Old Testament go down into Sheol, the place of the dead. And down in the inner part of the ship, that's where Jonah slept. You know, this picture of death. A picture where God, he's trying to leave God's presence to get away as much as he could. Finally, verse 6, even though Jonah was fast asleep, see, it was not going to be a long snooze for him. You see that the captain of the ship came to wake him up by crying out to Jonah. Jonah, what are you doing? What do you mean, sleeper? Get up! Arise! Call out to your God! By the way, here, just notice the similar language that the captain is using to verse 2 of our passage. God called Jonah to arise, to go and call out against Nineveh. So here, very similarly, the captain is giving a command to Jonah, arise and call out to your God. Do so with the reason that perhaps Jonah's God would listen to him, and not only listen, but give thought to the ship at sea, and perhaps not only just give thought to him, but even rescue the ship so that none would perish. And for us this morning, as mentioned, this is actually where we're going to end in chapter 1. So John, Jonah's on the run. He's clearly disobeying God's command. He's being chased and now caught by the Lord, who is not going to allow for his disobedient prophet to thwart his mission. Okay. Now, before we end the sermon here, I do have a number of things I wanted to point out to us from this passage, just to kind of help some, connect some dots for us 
uh, as we try to apply this to us today. Okay, so I have, I think, like four things here. I think it should be on the screen. So as we read through this this morning first, we need to see that God is a God on mission. And that really is the emphasis, the main point of the book of Jonah. It's not the disobedience of Jonah, even though that's clearly there. The primary emphasis of this little book is that God is a God who is on mission, a mission for his glory to spread to all corners of the earth, to redeem lost sinners to himself. Really, this mission that God is on, we actually see this from the opening pages of Scripture. Do you remember how God gave our first parents the mission to be fruitful, multiply, fill the world with his image that mankind was created in. And from that first commission that God gave to our first parents, this theme of God being on a mission has filled the storyline of the scriptures, really from beginning to end, including our text today. We're in the mission of God. He sent Jonah to proclaim his good news message even to evil Ninevites. And in the weeks to come, as we work through the short book, this mission that God gave to Jonah, this was a mission that God would see through, despite Jonah's disobedience. Friends, keep saying it. This is the biggest overall truth in the book of Jonah. It's actually right here. God is a God on mission. A mission that he was so committed, so invested in. Not only did he send Jonah and other prophets to leave comfort and peace, to go to sinful men, but a few hundred years after Jonah, as read earlier, our Lord sent his only begotten son, the second member of the Blessed Trinity, to leave comfort and peace in the heavenly places, to come to wicked, sinful mankind with the message of his gospel. And by the way, we all need to remember that apart from the message of the gospel, we all are wicked and sinful. Yet that who Christ came for, he came for sinners like us to seek and save those which are lost, which our Lord did by becoming fully man yet without sin. We're unlike Jonah, unlike us. Jesus perfectly fulfilled God's good command. Yet, even though the Lord Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinful life, fulfilled the mission of God, our Lord is actually the one who paid the greatest of all costs as he willingly joyfully laid down his life for his people so that in his mercy, Christ would take on the judgment of our sin upon himself, including the sin of disobedience to his mission. And as Jesus Christ took on the judgment of our sin on the cross, he was separated from the loving presence of God, where in fact Jesus did die, where his body indeed was buried, but we know that the Lord did not stay in the grave. He didn't stay in the land of the dead because on the third day, according to God's eternal mission, Jesus was raised from the dead. So now all who by faith, who repent, who turn from sin and turn to Jesus, who confess Jesus as Lord, they would indeed find forgiveness. They would be brought into eternal relationship with God. So that they who once were enemies of God would now be united to God through Christ as children of God. Children who now wait with eager anticipation for our Lord Jesus to fully complete his mission, which he'll complete when he comes back for us, to take us into his eternal heavenly home, a home where through all ages we might sing of his praises, praises of the one who is full of mercy 
and grace towards sinful people like you, like me, like the evil Ninevites, like those around our society who are currently thumbing their noses at the Lord. And keep saying it. That's the main point of Jonah. God is a God on mission. A mission that he will complete. A mission that hell itself will not prevail against. Friends, before we move on, let me just humbly remind you that if you are a Christian and follower of Christ, it's simply because God was gracious and merciful and came to you. This is why none of us can boast. This is why none of us should stand in like sinful judgment of others who have yet to taste and see that the Lord is good. Rather, if you are a Christian, this grace and mercy that you receive from Jesus Christ is a grace and mercy that now ought to compel us, drive us to go to others with the hopes that others would also receive grace and mercy. And by the way, let me also mention this morning, if you yet to trust in Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, and let me tell you, no matter how evil you may have been, how blatantly maybe you have thumbed your nose at the Lord, listen, the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ, it's more. It's greater. If you would turn from sin and turn to Jesus, friend, you will find forgiveness. Second, so God is clear in his great commission for his people. So now there's certainly parts of the scripture that are a little more difficult maybe to understand. It takes a little more thought, effort to get at what it's teaching. You know, maybe I do some research on like historical timelines. Maybe it takes some time to understand like unfolding biblical themes. Uh, maybe like, you know, original biblical languages might have to be explored. A little more digging just to kind of see what scripture is actually teaching there. But when it comes to the great commission that God has for his people, like he's clear. His people, we are to be his witnesses. That's clear. In verse 1 of our text today, God's very clear to Jonah. Okay, this command didn't require to, like, for Jonah to have to dig around. You know, as like, oh, the others in the school of prophets try to figure out, okay, what's the Lord saying here? You know, trying to piece this together, what God is asking me to do. Verse 1, you want to take your eyes back there? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and very clearly, Jonah, you are to arise, you are to go to Nineveh, and you are to preach. And God gave him this very clear command, this very clear commission, fully understanding the cost that he's asking Jonah to do here. Also, fully understanding that Nineveh was a great city filled with evil. God's clear. Like for us, we know God has given us a clear, straightforward command that we are to go. We are to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching we know we are to be ambassadors of Christ. We know we are to proclaim the marvelous light that is Jesus Christ. We know we are always to be ready to give an answer for the hope within us. We know we are to pray that the Lord will open up doors for us to testify to the gospel. We know why? Because God has been clear to us in his word. Now, within this clear command, there might be a little discernment needed for us, where we're to practically fill this great commission. You know, for Jonah, his commission required him to travel a great distance to Nineveh. Perhaps for some of us here, even. And maybe God might be leading you to do something similar, where you are to leave your family, your friends, to travel a great distance. 
to minister God's word in a foreign land as a missionary. To go to people who have little to no access to the message of Jesus Christ. For most of us, well, God might not be leading us to travel a great distance to be his witness. That doesn't mean that we're to passively sit back and do nothing. Rather, for most of us in the room, we actually need to be willing to like, go and travel across the street or the apartment hallway to engage with our neighbors. Or we need to be willing to go across the office to engage with coworkers. Or maybe we go across like the checkout counter, just the people we might be interacting with in our normal daily lives. Or maybe we need to go across the lecture pit to talk to our classmates who seem so far gone. Or maybe we need to go across the dinner table at the family Thanksgiving to your loved ones who have yet to believe. Friends, most of us, we're ready to go to the places that God has already placed us to bloom where God has already planted us to go in ways that we're telling others the good news about Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're struggling to know how to do that, by way of reminder, uh, our favorite Uncle Wes right, and I are having this teaching on evangelism. Uh, it's coming up this Saturday to talk through practical ways by which we can arise and go around us. And we, we really would love for everyone to come. So if you're actually pretty good already at like, finding ways to rise and go, could you please come and share with the rest of us how you're doing so? It's like we can be encouraged and learn from you. For those of us who are really struggling to go, perhaps like it's actually been so long, you can't even remember the last time you actually had a meaningful conversation with someone about the Lord. Listen, we really want you to come to this. Just to encourage each other so that we can be faithful, obedient to this clear command. And friends, if I can be blunt with you here, if we do nothing with this clear command, nothing to try to obey this command, you know, maybe like Jonah, maybe we're trying to find different ways to run from this command. If I can be blunt, we're in sin. We're failing to do what God commands, which leads to the third thing I want to mention here. Friends, it's, it's really tempting to sinfully break this clear command of God. That's a clear in the text that's a temptation that Jonah had given into. He keeps saying God told him to go one way only for Jonah to go the opposite. Now, there could be a lot of different motivating factors why we're disobedient to this clear command. In the story of Jonah, the main motivation behind his disobedience was just his disdain for the Ninevites. Keep saying it. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent. He didn't want them to receive the blessings of the Lord. He wanted judgment to come upon them which could be a real temptation for us as well. To see society crumbling around us become, who's becoming more and more blatant on how they thumb their nose as God. So maybe we only want judgment to come, so we break the great clear command. Who knows, could be a lot of other reasons. But this is clearly a temptation that Jonah gave into. He didn't want to fill this command. And by the way, one of the things I actually thought about this week, just think how committed Jonah was to continue to give into this temptation. I mean, think about it. this wasn't like an initial fleeting thought for Jonah, you know, where he's like, you know, thought runs in his mind, hey, actually, I don't want to go to Nineveh. But after the temptation came, like he repents right away, he humbly, you know, humbles himself before the Lord, and then he goes to fill God's command. That wasn't Jonah here. Like he's committed. 
He was committed to leave the presence of the Lord. He's committed to go down to Joppa, which we don't know how long of a, tra- a travel that was for him to go. But I think Lee's leaves to believe Lee sometime was involved in that travel. Where throughout his travel to Joppa, Jonah you know, probably felt some conviction on what he was doing. That he stayed committed, just kept going. Then as he gets to Joppa and further commitment, Jonah puts some effort in to find the ship to take him to Tarshish. Then as he finds the ship, our text tells us he's committed to actually pay the fare to get in. Then as Jonah was in the boat, who knows how long he sat there waiting for the boat to be pushed off uh, into the sea. And then finally as it did push off, probably a pretty slow-moving ship as it made it away in open waters. Really, at any of these points, Jonah could have said, you know, what am I doing? This is crazy. God just gave me this clear command and it's for my good. I need to stop going where I headed. I need to churn. I need to do what God would have me to do. In the text, that didn't happen. Jonah stayed committed to keep giving in to temptation, his disobedience. I think we need to be challenged by this as well. Friends, if we're not mindful, if we're not humble, if you're not, if we're not quick to repent of our own disobedience in this area and make changes aligned with that repentance, we could look very much like Jonah. And if that's you this morning, if you've been pretty committed to disobedience and this clear command, I do have good news. If you confess your sin and turn from it, the Lord does give forgiveness. Give that disobedience to the Lord. Let him nail it to the cross and make real changes that align with your repentance. Friends, humble yourself before the Lord before he humbles you. Which actually is the last thing I want to point out to us. Just from our text today. God will discipline us in our disobedience. Now, every time the Lord disciplines his children, it's coming from his good, loving, kind heart. It's good that God disciplines us. However, that being said, the discipline of the Lord can still be painful. And it's always so much better to humble ourselves before God comes and humbles us through discipline. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We're going to talk more about this next week, where Jonah was famously swallowed by the fish. But in our text today, it's the discipline of the Lord in verse 4 that hurled the great wind upon the sea that caused the mighty tempest. Now, for us, who knows how the Lord might be disciplining us? Perhaps some kind of real storm in life might come our way that the Lord is using to grab our attention. At times, this actually needs a lot of discernment as well to know, okay, is this just a trial, a test, or maybe this is a discipline? For us this morning, we just need to see that God is a God of mission, a God who is not going to like passively sit back and let his prophet, his people, break clear commands. Rather, the Lord in his love including his love for Jonah, his love for Nineveh, the love for his glory to fill the ends of the earth, came and disciplined Jonah. And friends, that might be something he might do in our life as well. That in his love, if we don't humble ourselves and fulfill the great commission he's given to us, a mission to go around the world that is dark and dead in sin, to shine the light of Christ, Perhaps he might do the same for us as well. But those church, may we be a church that loves the Great Commission. May we be a church that longs to tell other people about Jesus Christ, 
no matter how evil they may seem to us. May we be a church that longs for more and more to come and join us, to join us in bowing our knee to Jesus Christ. Friends, may we have that heart. Because in the end, that's God's heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great love and mercy that came to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are indeed a God on mission, a mission to redeem lost sinners to yourself, a mission to put your glory on display for all eternity. And Lord, please forgive us when we are disobedient to the call that you put in our life to testify. Lord, this is uh, not easy for most of us. So we pray that you would help us to this end. And Lord, I do pray that Red Village Church would be a church that is very quick and very eager to testify to Christ might be a light shining in the darkness, trusting and believing that your light will overcome darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.